You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. It's time for us to uh, talk science. Um, and we're joined by the Naked Scientist now. That's Dr. Chris Smith, the head of uh, virology at Cambridge University. And he answers your science-related questions now. So give us a call, 011-883-0702. Hello, Chris. Hello. We've got uh, calls lined up. We couldn't get to all of them last week, so I suggest that we get to them as early as possible. Uh, so that we I'm going to talk quickly, as as so that I get through as many as Not possible. Not too quickly, because we need to understand all the details of the science explanations you give. Is that fair? Let's go. Okay. Let's go, Let's to, go. Daniel. Let's do it. Let's go to Daniel in Ranfantine. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Ava. How are you? I'm very good. What's your question this afternoon? Okay, as uh, for Dr. Chris, my question is with the Pfizer jabs that we've been having, uh, I've tested, uh, you know, uh, after having the uh, Pfizer jab uh, with the coin on my soldier where I got the jab. It's magnetic, the coin stick there. So what <laughs> causes the coin to stick to my soldier after having the jab? I've been like trying and finding out but couldn't get any answers at all. Hi, Daniel. I think that this is a myth conception which has been peddled to people and everyone's trying it and they're being myth-led. And what has happened is there's, there's a number of possible explanations. Number one is that you shove the coin on some random bit of your body and not a lot happens and then you shove it on the place where you've recently had a vaccination and because that's maybe a little bit more swollen or a little bit stickier because you've had a sticking plaster over the site of the injection, it might stick a bit better there. Or because you're a bit nervous about doing this test, you are sweating slightly. This makes your shoulder skin a bit sticky. It makes your fingers a bit sticky. So when you touch the magnet or whatever people are trying to stick onto their arm, uh, the, the, the surface now has a layer of moisture, which when you press the item against your skin, because the moisture is there, it pushes out the air and you get moisture sticking to moisture, which is stickier. And you also help to form a seal of the coin against the skin surface and this means that the atmospheric pressure pushes the skin the 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 skin and the coin or the magnet together and makes them more likely to adhere i don't think there's any evidence that there are particles that are capable of sticking heavy stuff like Mm -hmm. coins or magnets onto your skin surface from these vaccines this is just a myth and it's being peddled by a number of people, including anti-vax people, to try to put people off of uh, having what could be a, a vaccine capable of saving their lives. So don't believe it. There's no science in this at all. And you're absolutely fine. Yes. And we're not magnetic, not just in what's put into the vaccine, which joy... Well, which apart is... from your personality, which, you know, <laughs> the big draw for a lot of listeners, I know. Right. Thank you for that. Right, let's go to Sindani in the Northwest. Hello, Sindani. Yes, how are you? Uh, good, how are you? I'm good, that's all. Yes. Yes, I've got a, a question for the naked uh, scientist. Uh, normally, uh, my, the fruit tree, I realized uh, since uh, last year, 2020, on the north side, they tend to be more fruitful and bigger. Mm. So I want to know why, what causes that. And secondly, uh, this year, most of the fruit trees, they had to bat earlier. Mine had to do that almost uh, the first week of May. So um, 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 normally it happens uh, August or September, uh, the budding and, the, you know, wearing on flowers and so on. They, it happened but in now, May? May, first week of May. <laughs> 
And uh, this is a fruit tree that buds what or fruits in summer. Yeah, the, fruit, the yes, the fruit tree. Normally, uh, what uh, what what I normally see is the peach, the 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 the, uh, uh, the uh, what what we call guava, mm-hmm. guava, yes, guava and and peach, especially peach all over around the seeds. Uh, it's, it's wearing flowers. Mm, which usually yeah. happens in August for both of them. Normally, September upwards. Okay, that's when they're fruiting, right? Mm, that's interesting. Are you a farmer, Sindani? Ah, uh, not really. Just observant. Oh, and, this uh, in your yard. You have a few fruit yes. trees. Lucky. Yes. Okay. And then, yes, and then my neighbors as well. They 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 were able to realize that. And then even uh, the ground is more fruitful than before because some of the peaches are, you know, grown, strewn everywhere. Mm. So we're thinking about that as well. Mm-hmm. The ground has been fruitful, yes. All right. Sindani, great questions. Interesting indeed. Uh, Chris, any thoughts? Trees, uh, in fact, all plants are really in tune with the environment because they are slaves to the sun. And when you have the sunrise and a nice strong sun sunshine on the plant, it will grow more where there is more sun because the sun is the energy provider. Because through the process of photosynthesis, you use sunlight, capture that energy with your leaves, pull in carbon dioxide from the air around you, water from your roots, and you use it for growth. And so therefore, plants will tend to be more leafy and more fruity on the sides of plants that face where they're seeing the most sun, which Mm. in the northern hemisphere means the south side, in the southern hemisphere means the north-facing side of a tree or bush or plant, generally. Not exclusively, but generally. In terms of the, the time of fruiting and so on, plants have a body clock, just like we do. The way the cogs tick round is slightly different than, say, a human body clock, but they still keep time and have a circadian rhythm in exactly the same way that we do. Because, uh, in fact, in the last 10 years, scientists have calculated and proved that plants can count and do long division. There was a very interesting experiment done by researchers not far from where I am in the UK, where they actually demonstrated that plants can do long division. The way they do it is that the plants work out how much energy they've got stored in their leaves Mm -hmm. and they work out how fast they can breathe and grow at night and therefore how long their energy supplies are going to last before the sun comes up and they can make more energy again. And they do this in such a way that they just about use up all their energy before the sun comes up. In order to do that, they must know when the sun's going to come up, so therefore they are keeping track of time. So plants know the time of day, day to day, but they also know the season. They have longer term clocks that enable them to predict seasonality because obviously you need to come into bud when you know that your blossom isn't going to be destroyed by high winds, there'll be no insects around to pollinate it or or, uh, no no, um, nice weather to ripen your fruit. So therefore you must make sure that you're in sync with seasonal cycles. So plants not just know what time of day it is, they also know what time of year it is. But they can be very heavily confused if the environment in which they're growing is changing and climate change as well as other considerations can throw plants clocks off so if you have a spell of average very high temperatures that's what plants are tending to plug into they're they're monitoring the temperature their ambient environmental temperature and they're using that as a driver for when they should burst into leaf because they think it's spring and it may well be that these plants that are being referred to here these trees 
are experiencing warmer than average conditions, which has made them think it's not winter, it is spring. I'd better come out of my winter hibernation and start bearing fruit and blossom and so on. So I suspect that's probably what it is. We know that the climate is changing. We know that weird weather patterns are happening. And we had the reverse here in the UK in the uh, spring we've just had, Mm. where we had plants failing to come into leaf and bud for months later than they should have done because the average temperatures were so low. So the plants thought it was still winter time and, and it was all of a sudden the temperatures went up and they realised, in so much as a plant can realise, oh, I need to play catch up. And then everything came out with a flourish all at once, but, but much later than it would do normally. And it plays havoc with wildlife because yeah. the birds arrive expecting there to be places to build nests, insects to eat and so on. And if all those local factors aren't ready for them, they've got nothing to eat. So they don't breed very well. So the trees may have lots of fruit later, but the birds won't have very many babies. And uh, that's why nature is such a finely balanced thing. And we, we perturb it at our peril. Yes. And I heard it also said that at the rate at which the climate is changing, that um, the nature cannot evolve fast enough because some of the changes that we see that allow this to be such a habitable planet for so many species took place over a long period of time. But over the past couple of decades, we have changed things so quickly. It's hard for um, the rest of nature to kind of keep up with that rate of change to be able to survive and adapt to these changes. That's absolutely spot on, that the rate of change that we're inflicting on the planet is happening over years to decades to a century or so. Evolution occurs over the scale of millions of years. And for that reason, we're rushing nature and it's not easily rushed. Mm. Let's go to uh, Leone calling from Emerentia. Hi, Leone. Hi, dear. Yes, I'd like to ask Dr. Chris. Yes. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, this terrible chemicals factory fire that they had in Durban in July. Do you know about it? Mm, I heard about that. Right. Well, I've got a particular worry about it because my family, they paid a hefty deposit on a, a, an apartment down there. They want to go down this month to a place called Belito Bay. Now, when I spoke to somebody in Belito Bay, a couple of weeks ago, they said they'd been told not to swim in the sea. That was all that they were aware of. That was the health shop. And I haven't been able to get anybody from the investigative journalist's numbers to answer me. But the, when they published the list of the, the chemicals, which were herbicides, pesticides, everything you can think of, and they, they said they'd been banned in nearly every country of the world, for instance, one was, I think, in America, they said for, only for very specified use under special conditions. Now, I don't know if you know, would you know the names of any of these things? Because I've got some of them in front of me. Uh, you know, are you familiar at all with insecticides and, uh, you know, paraquat, for instance, the herbicide, mm. high risk. Now, the thing is, is I know that uh, somebody told me, this is a, a big Indian company, one of the biggest chemical companies in the world, and apparently, he said they used to buy um, chemicals, or they do buy chemicals from them. And he said some of these things can last for years. You know, they've had tons and tons yep. and tons of dead okay. fish washing up on the beaches. Mm. And I keep saying to my kids, don't go there. You won't be able to drink anything, eat anything, do anything. Do you have any idea of how long these lethal things can last in the air and the sea and the food and the water there? Yeah. Thank you for the question, yeah. Leonie. Mm -hmm. Yes, very interesting and very important point. The chemicals being referred to are 
what we call persistent pollutants. And a number of these chemicals have over the years been banned or uh, put on very restricted use lists because although they were fabulous at doing what they did, killing insects, they were so stable, so long-lived in the environment that they persisted and had the ability not just to kill things that we wanted to kill, but would have off-target effects, killing things that we didn't want to kill. N harmless pollinators, essential pollinators, other species that are rare. And they could accumulate in food chains, some of these chemicals, because they would go into the environment, things that ate things that had taken them up would then take more of them up, and they would bioaccumulate. And because they're so stable, they wouldn't break down, and therefore they would build up in the bodies of, of various animals. In order to offset that effect, these chemicals which have been identified as having these risks are being, uh, well, as I say, put on restricted use lists or in some cases banned in many jurisdictions. In terms of their impact on human health, uh, it's a mixture and it depends on the circumstance, the chemical and, and the level of exposure. What What is most worrying is if you have heavily contaminated environments that unless that's properly bioremediated, then those chemicals can dwell there and they can remain there at high levels. And if people are in that environment, they could be exposed to them. Whether or not that's going to harm the people, that is a different question, but there's certainly mm -hmm. going to be potentially exposure. Things going into the ocean is bad for the ocean, but it's less of a concern in terms of local accumulation because the ocean is huge and it will eventually dilute out the stuff over a long period of time because it may get into plants and an algae and so on along the shoreline. So... Uh, it, it's not a given that it's instantly safe, but it's less of a risk than if it's in, say, the land and the drinking water. Because if it's in the land and the drinking water, it can sort of go around in a toxic cycle f ad infinitum. I, I would say that the first thing to do is to ask the question, well, well, where is the level of exposure? To what extent is the level of contamination? What steps are being taken to measure it, monitor it? and then remediate it. And in some cases, this can involve taking away tons of soil which has been contaminated and making sure it's properly di disposed of and replacing it, obviously, and, and doing environmental monitoring. What are the levels in drinking water? What are the levels in the sea? What's the levels on the sand, for example, where, where people may go? Mm. Uh, those are important questions to ask. And before making any kind of decision about buying property, selling property, moving, holidaying, working there uh, or in areas where this sort of thing has happened, it's important to ask those questions. And I would hope that uh, people do keep up pressure on uh, local government and, and other people, including the company itself, to make sure that these sorts of answers are, are provided. Right. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back to the rest of your calls. 702. The Naked Scientist. And let's go back to the lines. We've got David calling from Midrand with his science-related question today. Hello, David. Hi there, good day, Azania and Dr. Chris. I just want to find out, oh, by the way, Dr. Chris, uh, me and 98% of South Africa, we crushed when you praying the 2% of the people that was looting recently. The point I want to get to, I've done unofficial uh, research uh, into why is it that uh, females, when they orgasm in intimacy, their toes curl. And I just want to find what happens to the muscles, what happens in the brain, that irrespective of of who, of what is uh, the, the race culture, whatever, uh, you do find movement in the toes uh, uh, of, of the feet. Mm. Of the toes or anywhere else. But yeah, you get what I'm saying. From your anecdotal research. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's done the experiment, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's just females, though. I, yeah. I, I've actually 
done my own research and yes. I understand that this is a toe curling experience for both sexes actually I don't think this is just one sex when we have a sexual climax there's a whole range of things that are going on with the nervous system and one of the things that it does actually inside the female genital tract is to trigger a whole wave of contractions and the idea of doing this is in the same way that in a man an orgasm is associated with ejaculation of semen which is what impregnates the female in the female the female genital tract goes through peristalsis in other words you get a, a, a beating movement inside and that is there to convey the sperm further up the female genital tract but the nervous process that generates that also spills over into other nerve circuits and does cause muscular contraction movements and the kinds of things that you would describe and uh, or you did describe and so i think this is all part of just the neuromuscular response to reproduction which is there to actually at the end of the day it's all about making babies and it's making babies as efficiently as possible by making sure that the sperm gets from a to b because where it needs to be is up inside the female up in the oviduct to meet an egg and fertilize it and the way you help it get there is by having various muscle contractions and spasms that push things along Oh, so that's what that's for. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for your question, Jerome. But uh, let's see if we can squeeze in one more. Unati's in Pretoria. Hi, Unati. Hi, Adania. How are you? Good. Welcome. What's your question today? Okay. So I've lived... Hi, sorry. Hi, Dr. Chris. Hello. So I've lived, so I've lived both um, inland and in the coast. Inland, I mean, I in Pretoria and in Johannesburg, mm -hmm. and I've lived in the coast, East London, and Gabeja. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm inland, I get frequent nose uh, nosebleeds, and when I'm in the coast, I hardly ever get any nosebleeds. So, I just wanted to know what could the cause of that be? Yes, uh, maybe down to the I altitude. Wonder. Mm -hmm. Wonder is, I mean, yes, I mean, possibly, but is it dust, perhaps? Because obviously, if you live in the environs, you know, around Hautang, there's enormous amounts of dust from from past mining and so on. The air coming off the sea is probably going to be a bit cleaner, so it could be dust and pollution from being inland in in a more built-up area. And this is irritant to the linings of the nose and can encourage some people to blow their nose, rub their nose, in some cases pick their nose. I'm not sure you're not doing that. But air. that can mm -hmm. that can cause that can cause more irritation. And yes, as you say, the drier air because of particulate matter in the air, and this can cause the fragile nose membranes to become more inflamed and perhaps bleed more often. So that could be the answer. Mm, there you go, Unati. Uh, yeah, because it's more humid uh, at the coast, which means that there is, um, you know, moist, more moist. More yep. moist. And there's going to be a lower particulate burden. Perhaps there might be some more sand if you're at the beach, but the sand particles are pretty big. I'm thinking about the smaller stuff mm. that's going to drive low-grade chronic irritation and inflammation in your airways. And yeah. there's a lot of dust in, in cities and a lot of pollution, which can help to irritate the, the fairly fragile linings of the respiratory tract and that may be what's causing it. Yeah, and we're going through a change of season um, and there's a lot of sneezing, hay fever going on. Slindila says, I suffer chronic sinusitis and battle a lot during this time of the year. I'm so sick with hay fever. Is it safe to vaccinate or wait for summer? Slindila wants to know. Well, hay fever, actually, you're all right with hay fever because okay. this is just an allergic reaction. Where, where vaccines are concerned, that shouldn't be a deterrent to going and getting Great. vaccinated. You're better off vaccinated than not. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much, Chris. It's a pleasure. Thank Talk you. To you soon. Absolutely. Next Monday is another date with The Naked Scientist.